I need to start us off this morning uh, by uh, making a public apology to my friends. I told a friend of mine that I was going to wear a tie today, and I got in a hurry this morning, and excuses, excuses. So to make it up to my friend, I'm declaring tie day next Sunday, okay? All right? So if you want to bust out the tie, ties are coming back, people, okay? You can uh, join me and wear a tie if you have a, is that a bolo? Is that what they're called? The little, the strings? If you want to wear strings next week, do that. You can go skinny tie, you can go thick tie, you can go big knot, whatever. It doesn't. You don't have to, but I'm going to be wearing a tie, and it's the cool thing to do next week to wear a tie. So there's that. Um, Last night was an amazing event, uh, the daddy-daughter date night. Thank you, thank you, thank you to everybody that made that happen. Our gym was transformed into an amazing place. It was beautiful. It was really cool to see uh, that kind of uh, event happening. And uh, a lot of smiling daughters last night, thanks to a lot of you guys. And thank you for putting a lot of work into that and preparing food and decorations. And it was uh, obviously not done and planned by a, a dude. Uh, there were a lot of ladies that, that put a lot into it, and we're, we're thankful for you for that. What do you think about the uh, gold and white cross that we have up here? You like it? Yeah? What is with that? That just totally blew up, didn't it? I was here on Friday, and I was, I think I was officially the last person to see the dress, okay? Uh, have you, if you haven't seen it, if you are like, have been out of the country, okay, there it is. How many, how many are, how many are white and gold? How many blue and black? How many could care less at this point? Yes. I, I personally see blue and black here. It's a mind twister, it's a mind blower. But what's amazing to me is this very thing that we hear right now in the room. One thing is just like set our, it's like the silliest thing is just set the conversation so quickly in our country. Like this blew up like within like seemingly half a day. Like most of the country had seen this. I mean, is that mind blowing to you that the speed of news and things that travel? And I'm going to try to, there's a couple of other pictures. Maybe you saw these just or just, we're just going to get rid of all these this weekend. We're not going to see this anymore. You know, we do need to let it go. A couple of others that you maybe you've seen. It's pretty good. And, and this is my favorite, I think. Yeah. Aww. Aww. Well, my transitional statement here this morning is, my question to you is this. What do you see? Maybe let's just close your eyes real quick. We'll, we'll just get fun this morning. Close your eyes. What is the first picture that comes to your mind when you think of Jesus? Okay, what like physical picture, what, what image of Jesus do you see in your mind? All right, now open your eyes. Now I want you to share which picture of Jesus with your neighbor. Is it like Jim Caviezel Jesus? Is it like mural Jesus? My, I talked to Melanie, she said it's door knocking Jesus. Have you seen the picture of which picture of Jesus, whatever floods into your mind? Share with your neighbor. 
All right. Well, for me, for me, I see the picture. You know the Last Supper? I see Last Supper Jesus, okay? We had in our church growing up, uh, there was a carpeted version of this, like, I want to say um, 10 by like 15 in the fellowship hall of our church, carpeted version of this picture. And so I, I just, that just is like engraved in my mind. There's this like picture of Jesus that's, that's there. Now, there's, when we think about what, what Jesus looked like in the Bible, the Bible kind of gives us a little bit of description in Isaiah 53. It says that he was nothing beautiful or majestic. There was nothing majestic about his appearance. There was nothing that attracted to, to him. Now, when Jesus kind of pulls his disciples to the side one day, he asks this question, who do people say that I am? Do you remember that question? Who do people say that I am? And they kind of threw out some answers. And there was, you know, you're, some say you're a prophet. Some say you're a teacher. Some say you're John the Baptist. And just kind of starting that question of, of who this Jesus is. And, and what I want us to do as we think about Jesus, as we have images in our mind, as we think about qualities maybe that have flooded in our head already, I want us the next few weeks, I want us to think about Jesus face to face. I want us, in, as we get ready to, to celebrate uh, Good Friday and Easter and this amazing weekend, I don't want us to rush into it. I, I want us to think about this, who this Jesus is. And face to face, what it was like to be with Jesus. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at some encounters. Some people that, that obviously we, don't get to, we didn't get to see Jesus. But we do know this, that, that Jesus is the invisible, or Jesus is the visible image of an invisible God. So when he was on earth, he was a visible image of who God is. And people interacted with him. They went face to face with him. And I want us to look at some of those interactions and see if we can maybe learn a little bit more about him and maybe learn some things about uh, us as well. Friend of mine uh, has a, a great story. I, I love. I thought about it this week. Uh, he was at a city city center. There's this restaurant called Ruggles down there, and uh, he was going in out, actually leaving Ruggles when the door opened up, and he looks up, and there, face to face, like right here, is Fabio. You know? Do you know who Fabio is? All right, I know that there's like an age of like probably 30 in the room that the under is not going to know who that is, but. Flowing blonde hair, always like wind is flowing through the hair. And he always has like, he's the guy that has his, his shirt buttoned down to here uh, all the time. And he's just like this beefcake guy. And hey, I'm Fabio. You know, just has that kind of. And so my friend is just face to face. And, and the only thing is just eye to eye. He could get out of his, his mouth was just Fabio. <laughs> he just said, Fabio. <laughs> and, and Fabio, I, I, I don't know what happened after that. He just kind of walked in, but I just love it. Fabio. <laughs> so we want to get face-to-face with Jesus. We want to get kind of a deeper, like, just eye-to-eye level with, with Jesus. And we're going to start off by a passage, a scripture that I love, this encounter with Jesus in Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. So if you'll turn there, very first ber- verse, we'll, we'll go there. And it's a great story. It's a great visual story. So try to begin to just see it in your mind as I read it. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no room even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head. 
Then they lowered the man on, on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the, the, the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. Man, I love this stuff. You can see that in your mind, this house full of just thing, all kinds of things going out on. So let's unpack that a little bit. Jesus, obviously there's tons of people in this house. How did they get there? Why are they there? Why is Jesus so popular is a question that you would ask. It almost feels like who is the most popular? One Direction, that would be, no, yeah, you're, all right. If One Direction suddenly walked, it's just like, ah, this, this herd of people following Jesus. Why are they following? If you, if you back up a few verses, it says this. He, was in, he came back. He was in Capernaum the first time. And in verse 22, it says, The people were amazed at his teaching. This is before he healed anyone. Was, they were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. So the first thing we notice is this Jesus, he's got something different about him. He has this authority about him, this power and influence, and it's just kind of oozing out of who he is. Now, people love power and influence. They desire it. We want power and influence, and some people, they demand it. They demand. I, I, I want that so badly. I seek it so badly, and some people even use things like fear or guilt to try to, or even violence to try to gain power and authority, but this Jesus is different. This Jesus, there's something about him. Have you ever just been around people? They, they just had this aura of confidence, this discernment. They just have this wisdom and humility and just presence about them that's different. And you could just sense this about this Jesus. And, and Jesus is on the scene. He's teaching, and people are like, man, this, there's something about this guy that's different. Just can sense it. He doesn't necessarily visually, you know, as we said in Isaiah, there wasn't anything like, Man, this guy is Fabio-esque. This guy is, he seems as kind of regular, but there's something different about him. There's this authority about him. So he's teaching, and suddenly this person bursts into the scene of, of the synagogue. And it's a man that's possessed with a demon. And this demon begins to have this interaction with Jesus. And Jesus cuts the demon off inside of him. And, and he basically just says, be quiet and come out of him. That would be an interesting Sunday, okay? <laughs> that would be a great Sunday. When that happens, now, authority and amazement here, it just like took it to the next level, okay? Suddenly, we're like, wow. They even said this, who is this guy? Amazement gripped the audience, and there was this combination of almost holy fear, and they, they were mesmerized, they were astonished by him. When you think about this kind of authority, 
there was another encounter that Jesus had with, with another man. It was actually a Roman guard, a centurion. And in Matthew chapter 8, there is this story. When, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, back in Capernaum again, this Roman soldier he comes up and he's asking for help. And he says, Lord, my, my servant is home and he's paralyzed. And, and he needs help. He's suffering terribly. And Jesus says to him, after this encounter, hey, I'm going to come. I'm going to come help. But something different happens. Something amazing happens. The centurion replied, Lord, I don't deserve you to come under my roof. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority. I, I give orders and I'm under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. That's what authority is. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Now, I need you to take note. There's only happened twice in Scripture that Jesus was amazed at us. Okay, one time it was because of a lack of faith. He goes back to his hometown in Nazareth, and he, go, he looks around and goes, man, I'm amazed at the lack of faith amongst us, amongst you. But in this, this one instance in, in the gospel, I mean, this Jesus actually is like, I'm amazed at you. Now, why was he amazed? Truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Jesus is amazed at demonstrations of faith in him. You don't even have to go to the house. You have the power and authority, Jesus, to just say the word and it can happen. That's the kind of authority that Jesus had. This is who we're working with. And so he, he, he has a situation with this man that's possessed by authority, he, he, or possessed by a demon. He shows his authority to all the people. And as I'm thinking about this, as I'm processing this in my time with, with the Lord this week, I just begin to have these kind of thoughts. And I wrote some of those down, and I'm going to share a few with, with you this, this morning. Kind of a prayer that I had. And it was this, God, help me to recognize your authority in my life. You're the one that has a great power to heal. You are the one that has a great power to save. And you are the one that even commands demons. All authority and power on heaven and on earth, it is yours. So he continues to heal, Jesus does. And he does this in Mark chapter 1. And, and, and then we come to this situation after momentum's starting to build. But we're only two chapters into Mark. Mark jumps right into the action. I mean, in the other gospels, you see a birth story. You see Jesus kind of, you know, we have the temptation story, we have that in Mark, but a little bit more buildup. But here it's just quick action stuff that's happening in Mark. So Mark, we're into chapter 2. They have this scene, the house is full. There is this guy that's paralyzed. He's heard about Jesus. He's heard, man, this Jesus is different. He has this authority. He has this power. I've got to get to him. Well, a couple of things. I'm paralyzed. How am I going to get there? He finds a way. He, gets, he has some friends that help him out in the story. And they get to the house, and what's, what's the scenario? It is so full that they can't get in. And no one is volunteering to let him in to have their spot. So roadblocks everywhere. Roadblocks everywhere. What do they decide? Let's go to the roof. Let's go to the roof. Now, this is what I would consider a MacGyver moment, okay? I don't know if you remember the show MacGyver. If you don't, just shake your head. Encourage me today, okay? MacGyver. He was the guy that could take like a paper clip and a pitching wedge and a bottle of water and make like an airplane out of it uh, and fly in it. 
You know, speaking of MacGyver, I'm just going to throw this out there. Uh, if you get bored today, the cross is held up very MacGyver-esque. Uh, if it falls down at any point, just ignore it. Just ignore it. Just keep, keep focused, okay? A lot of duct tape. But you just, I just kind of see these guys on this roof. They're on top of the roof, and they just, they're just like, okay, how are we going to do this? Okay, we got a roof. It's probably clay, and there's some sticks and maybe a few these we're not talking about major codes back in the day of Capernaum okay on the roof in fact I'd be worried about falling into the roof at this point but they're like okay we're gonna we dig a hole and we've got this rope and we're gonna put it on the edges of the mats and we don't have any duct tape but we're just gonna and if I'm the guy on the mat I'm thinking I don't know if this is such a good idea I don't know if you've had one of those moments before you're like maybe this is not such a great idea but they're willing to do whatever it takes. They're trying to figure a way around these roadblocks in life. And roadblocks to try to get to Jesus. And as I was just thinking about this this week, I really do think that every one of us has some sort of roadblocks in their life. And these kind of jump up here and there. And there's things that want to keep us from Jesus. Things that keep us from getting to Jesus. And I would ask you that question as we're thinking this morning. This time in your life, what are some roadblocks that keep you from having an intimate relationship with him? Not just know about him, not just be able to pop up some picture in your mind of him, but an intimate, close relationship with, with him. I, I, got to, I, did this, uh, ref, I do references every now and then for people, and I had a couple students in the last two weeks ask me for references. It was the easiest two references I've, I've had to give in a long time because I know these kids, amazing kids. I've had experiences with them. We've had trips together. We've connected, and I just know them personally. And I have just recently know about them and about their character, and it was just so easy to write. Now, I've got to tell you, there's not all, that's not always the case, okay? It's not always easy to write a reference for someone, maybe because... I quite honestly just don't know someone very well. This intimate relationship is this. You know someone. You're close to someone. You can, you can, you can speak to who they are. And you, you're, you're, you have this bond together. And that's the kind of inner relationship that, that Jesus wants. He wants something deeper. So what are the things that are keeping us from that? A couple of things that jump to my mind and, and are easy for me. Busyness. How busy are we? In fact, busy is popular. What do you say? How are you doing, Scott? I'm doing great. Well, what are you doing? How are you doing this way? Oh, I'm busy. Are you busy? I'm busy too. We're all busy. This is like the cool thing to say in a conversation. What are, how are you doing? Oh, I'm busy. Because busy means, you know, that you're doing something good or right. And if we're busy, then we're better people or more important people or, or, or whatever it means. But it's, we, we, we're supposed to be busy. But busyness can keep us from intimacy with Jesus. Life circumstances can certainly do that, right? Things that, that, that get thrown our way out of nowhere that, that can keep us from Jesus. Sometimes, you know what I think? Apathy. This, this place of, you know what, I'm just, just fine with the way life is. And I'm just floating to get by, and, and that's okay. I just, I just want to be able to, to make it to the weekend so I can, uh, I can watch something on Netflix, like 10 hours of the same thing. Oh, what do you call that? Thank you. Binge watching. You're not asleep. Binge watching something. Else. I just, if I can just get to that, then that's, that's the good of, of my life. 
There's other things that keep us from Jesus too. Our family and our friends can pull us away. Certain habits, certain things that are, are so important. In college, uh, there was two things that would, would keep me away from church. Uh, that would be uh, my guilt and my busyness. And my guilt would keep me away because, you know, when you do things that you, you know that are wrong, there, there comes this place of, you know, I don't want to go to church <laughs> because then I feel like maybe, you know, you've probably said this in your mind, the whole church is going to burn down because I am present and there's an awkwardness that's there. Our, our guilt uh, can keep us away from God as well. This Lenten season, it's actually my favorite time of year. Lent, I know that might be a new word for you guys, but it's, it's the 40 days leading up to Easter. And it's a time that we do focus on the cross, and it, it kind of coincides with this time of year that, that I think is the best time. Next Sunday is my favorite Sunday of the year. It's not just Thai Sunday. It's a good day. But next Sunday is the day that we set our, our clocks up. Up? Yes. Okay. Up. So if you come at the reg, if your time right now, you're going to be behind by an hour, okay? You will still get about five minutes of a sermon, but, uh, but you're going to miss a lot of it, okay? You're going to miss the good part, so be there for that, okay? So set your clock up next week. But I love that time because it gets dark later. I hate it when it's dark, like at four o'clock in the afternoon. You feel tired and depressed and you can't play golf at four o'clock in the afternoon because it's dark and all that stuff. I know that affects everyone. Um, but I just don't like, I love this time of year when it's light longer. And then you've got March Madness that's coming up. The sports dead zone is about to end. It's just boring right now in sports. Uh, we're getting to March Madness. Baseball is going to be here. And this is going to be the year for the Cubs. I'm telling you, this <laughs> is the year. We made some moves. We added some players. We've got a new manager. He's fantastic. We used to, Eddie it grew up in this little town called Vero Beach, Florida. And in Vero Beach, they have spring training. And, and we would go. You don't even have to pay when it was there. It's gone now because the Dodgers wanted more money to go to Arizona. It's a long story. But in spring training in Vero Beach, what you would do is you would go to the baseball fields, and there wouldn't even be games playing. You can go and watch players practice. We're talking about practice here, okay? But practice. They're, they're practicing hitting. They're practicing sliding. They're practicing bunting. I went one day, and there was a coach for the Dodgers, and it was like he, he had 10 players, professional baseball players, and he's teaching them how to bunt. These guys have been playing baseball all their lives. You know, they played 162 games a year before, and they're remembering how to bunt. And, it, and, and I think this all flows together with Lent. Because what Lent is really all about, you know, you hear people, I, I gave up this and I gave up that, and, and those things are good. But what Lent is about is, is, is recognizing the clutter of our lives and kind of stripping things back and focusing on what is important. And that is why we have a giant cross in our sanctuary to focus on what is really important. And there's some things in our lives that are keeping us from Christ. And maybe it means we need to, to scale back on something like social media. Or maybe even giving up a meal to spend time with God's Word because we believe God's Word, it feeds us. It's more important than food itself. 
because that's how important God is to us. And we get the rhythms of our lives back in check because we need to be reminded of the most important things. That is what the season is about. And I, I think as we look in this passage and we look at this scripture, it's not just a few verses before that Jesus says this in Mark chapter 1, verse 35. He's, he's, he's getting his ministry started and all these great things are happening. And what does he do? Before daybreak, the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. And when they found him, what did they say? Everyone is looking for you, Jesus. Have you ever felt like that before? Everyone is looking for you. You've got so much to do. But what does Jesus do? The most important thing, connect with God. Spend time with him. And, and, and remember that, that intimacy that God, that we need with God is so vital for your relationship with him. So back to the story. Mark chapter, Mark chapter 2, we're going ahead of chapter. These guys, they find a way around the crowd. They get up on the roof. They start to dig around this roof. There's Jesus. He's in this packed out house. And suddenly, he's starting to, I'm just imagining debris falling on the head, okay? But Jesus is a pro. You know, he's a pro preacher. He just keeps focused. It doesn't matter what happens all around. He's just on point here, and he's on mission, and these things are starting to fall around. And, and then you've got this guy that's being lowered behind him or maybe in front of him. But, but he is just, he, he, he's there. Now, quick poll question. I believe there's three kinds of people in the world. Maybe we can add to this, but essentially three. There's one group of people that make to-do lists all the time. And you are on your to-do list. You make it every morning. You've got it on your phone right now. Some of you have gotten bored during service, and you started to make your to-do list for what you have to do for this week in service, and, and that's okay. And the second people are forget to-do lists, okay? You don't do to-do to -do lists. You've got, it, you know, you've got it all up here, and uh, you don't need it. And uh, then there's the third is those who make to-do lists, but then they lose their to-do lists, Okay. Now, how many are to-do list people that you make one almost every day? All right, how many are like, forget the to-do list? I got it in there. How many make one and you don't follow it? Okay, all right. I think that applies to us uh, today because Jesus, here he is, and, and we got to remember his mission here is, is, pretty, is pretty straightforward. He's focused on the cross. Cross is always coming. It's always on his mind. It's where, you know, I, I bet he even had like a countdown in his mind of how many days until the cross, until the most important thing, the, the purpose of why I'm here. But the other purpose of why he's here is to preach and declare the kingdom of God is here. And it's, it's here and it's, and it's now in this preaching time. So in this mission of, of, of declaring the word and the kingdom, that would be pretty distracting if suddenly someone burst onto the scene, burst onto the scene and, and just ruined your to-do list. Has anything ever just ruined your to-do, ruined your moment? You ruined, this is not the way that I had this day planned. This is not the way that it was supposed to go. This is not the way my life was supposed to go. What's going on? One of my favorite stories that I'm reminded of often, and I've told it before, but it just, it just kept churning in my mind this week. It's my friend Tom. My, Tom is one of the, the best Christ followers that I've ever met. And, and I was in Florida one morning. Uh, I, I'm coming to church, and I, I'm by myself at church. There's nobody around. And I look outside, and we had, they have 
glass window doors that are at the church. And there at about 8.45 in the morning, there is a, a man asleep under the stoop that's there. He's just kind of huddled up in a stoop by, by the, the, wind, the doors there. And I had one of those clarity moments from God that God very clearly said, go and talk to that man. I didn't say go and, and, and get him food. He just said, go and talk, just go talk to that guy. And my reaction that day was, I've got stuff to do. I've got good stuff to do. I'm a pastor. I've got to do things that are important and kingdom stuff. So I went to my office, and to make it worse, I could still see him from my office door. I shut the door. Yeah. So I go out about a half an hour or so later, and he's gone. He's just gone. And uh, I was like, oh, well, he must have moved on. And then about, uh, uh, about six or seven hours later, my buddy Tom comes by the church, and he says, you're never going to believe this. This morning, I came by the church, and there was this guy, and he was asleep on the stoop over here by the, the door. And I was like, no way. <laughs> really? And he said, I, I just felt... I just felt like I should talk to him, so I did. And I started this conversation, and he started saying, you know what, I've, I've got this family, and I need to get back to my family in Orlando. And Orlando and I were in 45 minutes from Vero. And he said, you know, I just felt compelled by God to take him to Orlando. I said, <laughs> at this point, I'm like on my edge. I'm like, really? You took him to Orlando? Tom, he was in your car, and you took it? Yeah. Took him to Orlando. We got in the car together, and we started to talk. And he started to tell me his story and his life. And he said, Matt, you're not going to believe this. Right there in my car, he gave his life to Jesus. We prayed together. He told me about things that he said he never told anyone. I, I took him to the house where, where his family was, and I got to watch this moment together where a family came back together. He said, I, I, I'm just blown away, Matt. And of course, I'm just like, <laughs> thanks, God. Uh, he does that to you sometimes. What happens, I think, a lot of times is that God is at work in our world. And man, I think that I get so busy. And maybe you get so busy. We all get busy. And we all have stuff. And we have things. But, but what if God's at work and he is asking us to be a part of that? And it's, it's messing up my to-do list. But it's exactly what God wants you to be. And God was in the right place at the right time uh, this day when someone comes into the room. And uh, it's a great moment. And, and what happens next? What happens next? He comes down and uh, what does Jesus say? You remember what he said? He said, he sees faith in action, and he says, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Now, everyone in the room, I, I, I've got to imagine, is thinking the same thing. What? This guy is, he's, he's paralyzed. He's paralyzed. What is, what is Jesus looking at? There's sometimes that I think that, that Jesus doesn't look at the things that everyone else looks at. Have you, there's a picture that I saw uh, of a baseball game, 
And uh, just a, a, a quick shot here. And, uh, and you know, there's a foul ball that comes uh, in the middle of the game. And, and the center of attention is, of course, the ball in the middle of the game. But it's pretty funny to just look around at the faces in this picture, okay? Pick out your favorites. My favorite is a tie between this lady here with the scarf here, the red scarf, who's like, I think she was having a holy moment. Praise Jesus. (laughs) And then the gentleman to your right uh, with the eyes there. Now, you know, obviously in the middle of this moment where the ball comes, no one sees all this happening. They're focused on, on the ball and, and the, the place that's, that's there. You know, that's how pickpockets and magicians get us all. There's a, there's a moment where a brush, like, and then suddenly the wallet is gone because you're distracted because you're all looking at the same place. That's what magicians do. They say, look at this hand, and this hand is doing something else, right? We're, we're here, okay? I, I think we all are trained to look one place when Jesus is looking at something else, okay? And what Jesus sees immediately is the most important thing, and that's our internal, internal, eternal condition. He's looking at our spiritual condition and the condition of this guy's heart. And he says, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Now, what's the reaction of the people? The, the, the people, the teachers of the law, they thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. But Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. This is an amazing superpower. I don't know if I would want to have this superpower, but Jesus, just, just to know face-to-face who this Jesus is, he knows what you're thinking. He knows what's in your heart. Would you want to have that? Would you want to know what everybody's thinking? I, I don't know if I would or not. In fact, it's kind of been nice not to be on Facebook for the last month and a half to know what everybody's thinking. But Jesus knows exactly what we are thinking, and maybe that should alarm us because I think a lot of my life, I've not really been focused on the internal but on the external things of my life and the things that are in view of everyone. In fact, I think our culture just just teaches us to do that. And, and there's this internal conversation that happens, I think, for all of us. There's this dialogue all throughout your day that you're saying and doing one thing out here, but there's this conversation that's happening inside. And I think that's the place where there's a lot of work that needs to happen for all of us. Because that's the place where there's pride. And that's the place where there's hate. And you can hide that really well. But there's places of anger. There's places of, of, of lust. There's things inside of us that God wants to work on. So my, my thought to, to God on this was, you know, oftentimes I focus my prayers and hopes on external things that are certainly important, but maybe I should be paying more attention to the internal things that affect all of eternity. Help me not just to focus on the outside of my cup, but the inside as well. Garen's going to uh, come up now and, and, and help us... Uh, lead it in a second as we, we close up. There's one last thing I want us to look at as we, as we get ready to go, and I think it's the coolest thing of the whole story. It's something that, you know, what happens after this? He, for, he, he forgives the man's sins. The guy is come and say, hey, who, who dare, how dare you do this? And he says, well, what's easier, for me to forgive sins or to, to actually 
heal this man. And he, he heals him. And what happen, happens? He gets up. He, he rejoices. He jumps up, the scripture says. And he goes out praising God. And everyone is astonished. They're like, we've never seen anything like this before. This is amazing. This Jesus. Now, as I go into that room, I would be willing almost to bet if I could have been there that day. That Jesus, while everyone, you see this guy jumping up and new legs, and running out the door, praising God, and everybody's just a buzz about what's just happened. They're all looking at this guy. I bet there's one person that's looking somewhere differently. See, I think, this is my theory, that Jesus, while everyone was looking that direction, Jesus was looking up. And, and not to God, but to the four guys who were up there still. Because what did he say? He said, he was, it was their faith that has made him well. Their faith, not solo, your, personal, their faith. And I bet he looked up and saw four guys that got to be witness to something amazing because of their faith. The Christian life and what God has called us to be is not a solo thing, folks. It is a community of believers. I saw that last night when I saw a couple of uh, dads who were not with their biological daughters. They said, these are my kids. I think that plays out pretty well in a thing that we have called Celebrate Recovery where we say, hey, we're in this together. We are in this together. Because what's Celebrate Recovery all about? Habits, hang-ups, and just the, the stuff that life throws at you and the things that we all have. And I think that applies to everybody because we all have things that we don't want anybody to see. We all do. No one is exempt from that. We all do. When we need each other, we need each other. We need life groups where we can go deeper in conversation. We need people to keep us accountable. We need people to encourage us and to say, you know what? I know you've got barriers, but I'm gonna see past those barriers and we're gonna bust through those together. We're gonna do it together. And as I've thought about that, I think there's a lot of times that I draw lines with people where I'll say, you know what, I'm gonna go right here until I'm feeling a little uncomfortable and it gets a little awkward and good luck. I hope that you can get through this and I hope that you can find Jesus. But I think there's some times that I need to just break through those things. And I think we all need to do that and get past the awkward where we see the amazing. We see the amazing. Would you pray with me this morning? God, I thank you for, I thank you for this place. I thank you that we can come together and not a single one of us has it all figured out. And not a single one of us is perfect. And the reality is, Jesus, the thing that every one of us needs more than anything is your grace and your love. We thank you that you are a God that, that gave us the most amazing gift. 
and your son that came and died for us, that we could be forgiven, that our sins could be forgiven, that the guilt could be gone, that we could be set free. And we recognize today that you are the only one that has the authority and the power to do that. There's nothing that we can do to earn that. There's nothing that we can do to be a good person, to, to, to be better to get rid of those things, it's only because of your grace and your sacrifice and your love that we can, can be free, Jesus. God, I pray for that, for the person here today, Lord, that is, is coming here. Maybe they felt that guilt. And just in the presence of you, holy God, Lord, they just, God, they are desperate for you this morning. They, they are in need of your forgiveness. Lord, I pray as they are praying now, God, that you would enable them, Jesus and give them just the, the next step of, of asking for forgiveness and declaring that you are Lord today. God, I pray that, that as we are journeying together during this season, Lord, that we wouldn't be satisfied with where we're at in our relationship with you. It would be desperate to, to be closer to you, to be at your feet, to, to, to know you face to face, to know you closely, Lord. God, I pray that you'd give us a passion for your word. Give us desire to, to want to connect to you daily, Lord. To take, take time out of our, our schedule, Lord. And make time for the most important thing, Lord. That's connection with you, Jesus. Lord, we seek that in the next several weeks leading up to, to Easter, Lord. But we want that all the time, God. And Jesus, I pray that you would make us a community of believers that doesn't live our faith as an island but we invite others into this journey together, that we walk beside, that we would, would help others see you, Lord, and to, to know you and to love you, Lord, and to, to just the light bulb to come off. That's our, our desire is for people to see you for the first time for who you really are, God. Lord, I pray that you would empower us, that you would give us kingdom vision every day to do this, Jesus, and not be satisfied with the status quo of just being busy. And Lord, I, I pray that you would help us to recognize who does it all. Who's the one that has the authority? Who's the one that has the real power? Who's the one that saves? It is you, Jesus. It is you, God. And we thank you that you have saved us. Thank you that you looked past all the masks and you looked into my heart. And you said, you are, are mine. You are a child of mine. You've been set free. God, we praise you today. We ask that you would go with us this week and uh, we worship you now. This is an act of surrender to you, Jesus, in your name. And everyone said, amen. I consider him to be one of the patriarchs of our church. Uh, John Snyder has been uh, battling uh, cancer uh, for, for several years now, but it's really intensified in the last uh, several months. And uh, he had to go to the hospital this morning uh, with uh, shortness of breath. And uh, so would you take just a few seconds and quiet your heart, and would you join me in prayer uh, for John and Jackie? God, thank you for my friend, John. Jesus, I pray wherever he is right now, God, that you would fill his heart with your peace with your love and with your confidence and with your strength. God, I pray the same for Miss Jackie. I pray that you would hold her up right now. 
Father, I pray um, that you would be with doctors, that you'd be with nurses, that you'd bring wisdom, and you'd bring, Lord, God, we want healing. We want that so badly. And God, we just pray that you would be with them right now, that your presence would be around them, that you would fill that space right now. God, we want so badly to, to be there with them, Lord. And God, I just pray that you would, they would sense that they are not alone. And we thank you that we are not alone in this world. And God, we pray these things in your precious holy name. And everyone said, amen.